A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Hello, and welcome to episode 78 of Curiosityness. And this episode is all about Heel Hauser. I love Heel Hauser, grew up watching Heel Hauser. He's the best. I got his milk bottle with his face on it. If you're watching this on video, you can see that there. And uh, man, this is just such a fun episode to do. I got to go to the Hewlhauser archives in Orange, California and spend almost two hours talking to the uh, museum archivist there, John, and just dig into everything about Hewlhauser and his life and California's gold. So if you don't know who he if you don't know who Hewlhauser is, uh, welcome aboard. I think you're going to like this episode and find out who he is. And if you do like Huel Hauser, you're going to learn a lot about him. Uh, also wanted to preface this with the fact that we did also accompany this interview with a tour of the museum and the archives, uh, which is on YouTube. So if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you can just click here and check it out or visit the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash curiosityness. And you can watch about a half hour tour of the uh, archives that me and John did. And he kind of walks us around and shows us some of the artwork that Huell owned. And, you know, we just kind of do a whole tour of it. You get to see a recreation of his office from KCET and the camera he used. So it was really cool, fun to go see that stuff. So I encourage you to check that out. Again, youtube.com slash curiosityness. And also, this was the first interview that I had ever done live in person with someone who wasn't a friend of mine. So uh, really enjoyed it. I got to go down physically to the location in Orange because it's not too far away, luckily, and uh, sit down with John. So uh, we recorded this whole thing. This whole video is available on YouTube. Also, the whole podcast, which you're watching now if you're on YouTube, but if not, you can watch it. Uh, you can listen to it or watch it, whatever you want. Okay. I'm going to be done talking now, and uh, we'll get to the interview. Here is John from the Hewlhauser Archives right now. Okay, we're going. How you doing, John? I'm doing good. Thanks How's for being going? here. Doing good, yeah. <laughs> this is pretty exciting to be here. Yeah, yeah. Because, like... We came here, I think you were, we, you were probably here, I don't know if we talked. Oh, what year did you guys visit? It was, um, so it had been December of 2018. So okay, yeah, if chances are I was probably the one sitting here. Yeah. Because <laughs> so. I'm usually the one sitting here, sometimes if I'm taking a day off or calling in sick, um, I have someone, uh, you know, one of our staff or student workers come in to sit in, but um, they generally can't answer people's questions like I can. So, right. so usually it's kind of they're at a loss if I'm I call in sick or something. Right, like man. That. So yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I'm like so happy that this place just exists because I've you know like a lot of people grew up watching Hillhouser on KCET and stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my parents like we we traveled a lot as a kid. My family did, so we loved Hillhouser finding new stuff from him. So it's mm -hmm. always been fun having that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the fact that this place exists, it's just great because we came for my birthday. Actually, she took me for. A, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, that's like a, that's a cool birthday present. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of guests come here and. It's usually like the wife, uh, well, or either the wife or husband giving a birthday present to their spouse, mm -hmm. and it's this like this is one of the things for their birthday. Right. So yeah. was, I'm like, I was like, that's a cool gift. Well, it's like such so, a good yeah. little stop that uh, like you know it's not a huge museum, it's just small, but you can you know 
Sure, yeah, yeah. I feel like we were here for a couple hours looking around even, you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I imagine if, depending on how big of a fan you are, you could either spend 20 to 30 minutes here, or you could spend like uh, like half a day here. I've had some people, because they use their computers here, who's, which is hooked up to the internet, mm-hmm. and um, they, um, they're just regular computers. There's nothing special about them, but we have the links to the website, to our website, yes. where you can watch the video archives on there. Yeah. And so sometimes people come here, look at the, all the stuff we have, all the artifacts and labels and things like that. And then after that, they, you know, they'll ask me like, oh, where are these computers for? And I'll tell them like, oh, you know, we have the video archives hooked up. You could actually watch shows there. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell, also tell people, you, you don't have to come here to watch those. You, you could right, do yeah. that from any uh, device that has internet access. So, yeah. uh, but they enjoy watching the shows inside you know, the exhibit and everything. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a little special for that. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I've had some people spend like, you know, half a day here just right. watching episodes and stuff. And I was like, Hey, we got to close. You could, yeah, you know, right. you can watch the stuff at home, you know, mm-hmm. yada, yada, that yeah. kind of stuff. Dude. So, well, no, it's great. I'm glad. And, <clears throat> yeah. The fact that you guys are preserving the episodes and keeping them around for people to watch is mm-hmm. like, it's great. That had to be done. I yeah. feel like so. So that's actually the main, uh, that's, that was the main goal of the whole donation is actually Hulhauser wanted his shows to be preserved uh. for the, for you know, for eternity or however long it'll last, right? Because um, um, to be to be honest, he actually didn't really care much about anything else aside from the preservation of his show. So all this extra stuff you see in this room, like it's kind of like just icing on the cake a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he really only cared about the the shows being preserved. Okay, and so that's kind of the that was kind of the whole uh, you know point of the the project of the exhibit and everything like that. Okay. Uh, so not a lot of people know this, but this exhibit actually wasn't originally planned when Hulhauser was working with us on the donation. Um, uh-huh. We actually created this exhibit in March or like spring of 2014. Mm-hmm. So that's when this this actual the physical room itself was like opened and created. Okay. But um, the the materials in the archive is actually we've had it since like 2011 2012. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, so we've actually had the materials for a couple of years before that. But um, the actual physical exhibit we're sitting in right now, that opened in like, spring of 2014. Okay, so, so how, yeah. did, like, how did that all come together? Did you just, just have like, some <clears throat> of his you know, memorabilia, memorabilia like, laying around and stuff? Or how okay, did that... uh, so, um, so when he donated this material to us, and I could get into the whole story of why he donated if you're not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, please um, do. Uh, okay, so uh, back in 2007, roughly, uh, Hulhauser did an episode of uh, about Downtown Orange. I'm not sure if you've seen that episode, but it's um, maybe it's um, I think it, the episode was just called Orange, I think, or either Orange or Downtown Orange. Okay. And he went to he it was part of the road trip series, mm-hmm. and so he visited the downtown area, which is right down the street from us here. Um, he talked to a local uh, OC County historian, uh, a guy by the name of Phil Brigandi, mm-hmm. and uh, he kind of basically got a you know a deep background of the city of Orange, how it got started, right. and along with that, they also talked to a few other people, you know, some representatives uh, that were related to the city in some way, uh-huh. um, some people. Or not some people. Um, they also visited a couple storefronts around the the downtown area. Right. Uh, they went to um, like Watson's, you know, diner. Yeah, totally. Um, well, it's not. A di- it used to be at the time. It used to be a, a f- I think it was a drugstore and a soda shop. Yeah, but yeah. they. But then they, they changed remodeled it. it or yeah, they remodeled right? it. And okay. Now it's just Watson's, like a restaurant. It's just a restaurant. Yeah. Now. Okay. So it's kind of weird, but. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they went to a couple places around the around the downtown Orange area, mm-hmm. and so when that episode aired, um, our president at the time, uh, Jim Doty, he actually contacted Hugh Hauser 
um, saying, hey, you know, like I saw that episode about Downtown Orange. I thought it was really great, but like I noticed you didn't visit our school, yeah. you know, which is right down the street. So he, he encouraged uh, and invited Huel to come down and take a tour of the campus, mm-hmm. hoping that um, <clears throat> uh, he would do an episode on us. Right. Uh, but he unfortunately never did. Okay. <laughs> so... But, um, but, but, uh, you know, the byproduct of this was that they became friends. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, fast forward to 2010, Huelhauser is diagnosed with prostate cancer. Right. And that's, uh, that's what he passed away from. And so when he, um, when, uh, he, he was diagnosed, he actually started looking around various, uh, Southern California institutions to possibly donate his collection to. Okay. He was mostly looking at universities and colleges. Mm-hmm. So UCLA, UC Irvine, like those schools were like kind of in for the bidding of his collection and stuff. And by collection, you mean like his archive of tapes and everything? Um, like basically everything that you see here. So he was okay. kind of willing to donate his entire quote unquote estate. Um, he didn't have like a foundation or estate or anything, but mm-hmm. you know, he did own like most of the stuff. Stuff that you see here in the uh, exhibit, right? Okay. And so he was looking to donate all that stuff, but mm-hmm. primarily it was like the tapes was like the main point, right? Um, going back to why he wanted to preserve all that stuff anyway, yeah. And so, um, so he he decided on Chapman University mainly because of his friendship with uh, Jim Doty, mm-hmm. and that's actually the only reason he donated to us. Um, he was not a student here; he did not teach here. He he had, he had no professional affiliation with us whatsoever, mm-hmm. and so he just happened to donate to Chapman University because of his friendship with the president. Right. And so he worked with us from 2010 to 2012, roughly, uh-huh. um, through those couple of years. And, um, you know, he would visit us, we would visit his homes, you know, vice versa, we'd be, we'd be in correspondence with him. Yeah. Basically acquiring all the material you see here over like a two-year period, roughly. Okay. And so, <clears throat> so when he passes away in 2013, January, um, he, uh, maybe, I forget the exact uh, month it took place, but, because I wasn't here at the time, mm-hmm. um, he actually, or not he, uh, the school decided to create a, a temporary exhibit uh, honoring his memory, and so the way we did that was actually showcasing all the materials he donated to us. Right. Um, so we had some book uh, books in his private pr- uh, personal library. We had some of the found art he collected. We had some of his tapes on display, some of his uh, production files, uh, personal papers, photographs, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of a hodgepodge of all the things he donated. Some of his furniture, like yeah. like what we have in display back here. Yeah. It's awesome. So so that was on the first floor of the library here. And um, I think it also was held in like a few other parts of the school, but it was kind of like, you know, the library's exhibit project for Hulhauser's, you know, for his memorial. Right. And so we didn't realize this at the time, but so many people loved Hulhauser, uh-huh. and like we had hundreds and hundreds of people show up to see see the exhibit. Yeah. And so you know that that kind of got our you know got us thinking like, hey, maybe this there's something more to this uh, this collection and archive. Mm-hmm. So we decided to create this permanent exhibit, which is where we're standing in right now, or sitting in right now. Yeah. And so we opened this in March 2014, or yeah. spring 2014, I should say. Nice, man. So. So, yeah, so from basically his passing to 2014, we kind of worked on this, you know, this exhibit, kind of planning it out. Um, we, we actually worked with Ryan Morris, who was Hulhauser's production assistant mm-hmm. um, on the show, California's Gold. Yeah. And so he actually helped us with a lot of the research that we, that we have, you know, showcased in the, throughout the exhibit. A lot of the stuff we actually wouldn't have known without him and 
mm-hmm. the help of other research and stuff like that. Because nice. um, as you might know, Hugh Hauser was <clears throat> super private about his life. Yeah, right. So like a lot of the stuff, if you you know if you folks visit the exhibit, they'll notice that most of the stuff we talk about is actually just the stuff with his career. Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about his personal life, his family. We we mention a little bit, mm-hmm. but that that's that little bit is like basically all we were able to learn about him. Right. So he was very private. So you know we we use Ryan Morris to help us out with uh, all the research and stuff like that. But even at that point, all the research he was able to you know share with us was related to the shows California's Gold, visiting all the other Hauser productions. And okay. So yeah, because he he was like really private. No one knows a lot about him. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Like even his like I've seen interviews with his you know producers and stuff, but he, they said they wouldn't you know outside of work they wouldn't hang out much or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of the like the enigma that is Hauser. Like right. Like even despite being such a public <clears throat> figure and face, and you know everyone in California knowing about him and loving him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't re- like people didn't really know him. It's funny. I hear a lot of people like you know they'll tell me like when they used to watch his shows and stuff like they would it, you know he felt like like an uncle or like a grandpa to some people yeah. like you know he was that close and he was that friendly and everything mm-hmm. but you know to be honest like people didn't you know these people even though they felt like they knew him they didn't really know him yeah like uh, you know so it, it's just a really funny or or interesting you know fact about Hauser. right yeah so, well because especially because he comes across like so personably on. On, on camera, show, yeah. you know, he seems so friendly and everything, but then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just would have his private life. But I would, like, he was a celebrity, man. Like, everyone would recognize him wherever he went. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I could imagine, like, he would just want his time to be just, like, quiet time where he doesn't have to be there, yeah. you know? The thing with Huel was, even though he was really private, he was also really good at being generous to the fans. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> Because I've heard multiple stories from various people that either knew him directly or uh, met him on the street and stuff. Yeah. And for them, it's, it's funny because I'll hear two sides, two sides to Hauser. There's the people oh. who have actually who've met him either in sort of a, like a public speaking arrangement, like he was doing a talk or mm-hmm. he was, you know, just part, he was invited to like a party or reception of some kind and he was right. there. And uh, in that setting, Hauser was super friendly and like he would be generous to the fans. He would take pictures, sign autographs, what, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would be really kind and nice. And he would come off the way he comes off in the show. Right. But I've spoken to a bunch of people who knew him personally, who've worked with him directly, either on a production or who, you know, even, even us personally here, like some of our library staff here have met him personally. Mm-hmm. And in that case, he wasn't working on a show. He was working on doing a donation, like a, a very legal process right, yeah. with a school. Mm-hmm. And so some of the people um, I work with, like they've met him. And, you know, they, you know, they told me like he's nice, but, you know, he was very you know straight to business like did not really you know no funny business that kind of stuff really very very straightforward and very you know like grounded uh-huh. and so he he was you know he was nice but he wasn't as charming and you know whimsical as his persona is on tv on right, camera yeah. Yeah. and everything so you know there's and like he's the same person it's just the context of which he's interacting with people is mm-hmm. just slightly different to whoever he's talking to. Right, yeah. So, you know, so with us, you know, in a legal business sense, he was very straightforward and, you know, no funny business. Mm-hmm. But with fans, you know, he's super kind and generous and willing to talk for hours or or whatever. And yeah. even then he'll, like, punch up his his uh, his uh, accent a little <laughs> bit, you know, things like that. <laughs> right, like, yeah. if you heard him talk normally... Um, 
in like a very normal situation. Uh-huh. He had the the Southern Tennessee accent, right? But he definitely played it up for the show a little bit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's what's so like funny too is it's he's like you know he has such a Southern accent, and you know, but he's here in California and he's become like a California mascot almost. You know, right, but yeah, yeah. like <laughs> he didn't grow up here or anything. He, it, he was, it's, it's funny that our that our states one of our states biggest booster was a guy not from here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. But uh, but yeah. So it's that's the one thing I always like to tell people is like yeah Hugh Hauser even though he had the accent and stuff like for fans when he if he could like tell you were a fan of the show and that's why you were coming up to him yeah he would kind of play it up a little bit right <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah just 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 for them and stuff right yeah but in like more personal private settings business settings and stuff like he was very you know nonchalant and very you know straightforward when it came to talking and you know just the way he uh, conducted himself right yeah so which yeah. is understandable I mean he can't be that. Yeah, like he, he can't be Hauser, that. Yeah, he can't know. be the heel Hauser you see on TV like 100% of the time because that would be exhausting. Exhausting. And yeah. So, right. so yeah. So that's. Um, <clears throat> I think, and I think that also lends to him to his whole private persona too, because he was mm-hmm. such a public figure that he needed he needed to keep some of his own life like away from people, mm-hmm. and you know, just to be private about certain aspects of right. his life. And so, did he? If I remember correctly, he did he live in like the Palm Springs area? So he actually had a couple homes or a couple places where he kept residence. Uh-huh. So he had uh, an apartment in the El Real Apartments in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Um, so I believe that's in um, Larchmont. Um, I could be wrong, but I believe that's where, where it is. It's Larchmont. I haven't personally visited myself, so I, that's why I actually don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, physically, anyway. Um, but he had an apartment there. And um, so he, he primarily lived there when he was working on the show. Um, oh, okay. But he actually had his, his main residence, like a house he actually owned, um, was the house in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. But he also had a house in 29 Palms and then a third house in Newberry Springs, which is a little town near Barstow. Um, oh, okay. Um, in a, and, and that house is called the Volcano House. And that's, that's actually the house that most people think about when they think about Hillhauser's home. The only reason being is because it's such a unique looking house. Oh. Um, it sits on top of, a, of an extinct volcanic cone on a hilltop. And the, <laughs> the house itself, if you look, look at it from a distance, it kind of looks like, um, like, a, like a flying saucer almost. Like it's a, a, like a, a low, flat, disc-shaped house kind of oh. um, on top of this hilltop. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, yeah, so a lot of people, when they think about his homes or his home, they think about that one because mm-hmm. that was probably the most famous one he owned. But, right. uh, you know, truth be told, he actually didn't use it that much. Um, people just recognized it because it was such a cool looking house and stuff. Right. And we actually have a couple pictures over here, which I could show you later. But, okay, cool. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, out. so that's uh, the volcano house. But uh-huh. that house he only used probably a couple times in his life. Uh-huh. Um, but his main residence was the Palm Springs house. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that, like, you know, that volcano house that you described sound because he was totally into like, like weird kind of found artwork and stuff, wasn't he? Sure, you guys yeah. even have some here. Yeah, yeah. We even have some have some of his found art. Some of uh, some of some of his found art was uh, used as decorations, as you know, typical artwork pieces. Mm-hmm. But then other of his other pieces of his found art collection were actually used as furniture. So we have some pieces uh-huh. that he would take, like. You know, to be honest, I actually don't know like the exact locations where he found most of these pieces. Right. I'm assuming probably the desert off the side of the road somewhere, probably yeah, right. scrapyards of some kind. <laughs> um, because a lot of these pieces look like, you know, <clears throat> refuse, a lot of mm-hmm. discarded pieces of metal, stuff that, you know, no one in their right mind would probably want to take home and, you know, decorate their house with, but Hugh Hauser did. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of them are like rusty and, you know, you know, bent out of shape and like broken, things like that. Mm-hmm. So... 
um, some of these pieces he would actually decorate uh, his house as uh, furniture pieces. So mostly like tables and coffee tables and stuff like that, like kind of like surfaces that you could put stuff on. Right. Um, not, uh, nothing that I think he would like sit on, like as a chair or something. Right. Because most of them are like metal, metalic and rusty. <laughs> right. He so, like discomfort yeah. stuff. Yeah. But um, like, so one, one piece, uh, for example, he has like this big metal cauldron kind of thing. It's like a big metal bowl. It's like rusted and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, because the, the rim of the bowl is like a flat surface, yeah. he decided to put a glass like a glass surface on top of it. And so he used that almost like a dining table, as a dining table. Oh, okay. But it's like a huge round table and everything like that. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so, but, but, you know, the, the bottom of it was a, was a piece of metal that he found out in, you know, the scrapyard or desert or something yeah. like that. That's so like his show where he would just like find something that people would not eat. Like most people wouldn't even care about like the dryer lint artwork lady <laughs> sure, or something, yeah, you yeah. know, and then turn it into something interesting and he would love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. It's he so- was always interested in like whatever, like a lot of things interested him, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's super funny that, you know, he was, uh, he could make a show about literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, yeah. it's awesome. Um, so let's, can we like get into like a bit of his history and stuff and where he kind of came from? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, as much as I could tell you anyway. Right, yeah. No, no, that's fine. So, cause he, he's from <clears throat> Tennessee, correct? Yeah. So he, um, he was born October 18th, 1945. Uh-huh. Uh, he was born as Huel Burnley Hauser. That's his full name. So Burnley is his middle name. Okay. Um, but often he just went by Huel Hauser. And um, where did isn't Huel like a combination of his parents' names? Yes, that's right. So he actually reveals it on an episode of, of I believe it was California's Gold. Yeah. Um, I might be misremembering the name of the episode or the title of the episode, but I think it was, um, it was Timbuktu mm-hmm. and uh, Smartsville, or Smartsville and Timbuktu. Um, oh, yeah. I think that was the name of the episode. Yeah. But basically the whole point of it was he, um, he was visiting these two towns in California, Smartsville and Timbuktu, and, or... I don't know if they were towns, but they were locations, Mm -hmm. um, these areas. Right. And so the reason, the whole point of the episode was he wanted to visit the, these two locations and find out the history and where they got their name from. And so when he starts the episode, he actually talks about his name. And so he's, he goes off, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, he's like, hi, I'm Huel Hauser. And he says, you know, just so you know, my name Huel is actually a combination of my parents' name, Harold and Jewel. And that's where that name comes from. Right. And, you know, and then kind of spinning off into the theme of the episode, he wanted to explore where the names of these two towns or locations come from. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's kind of where he, that's like one of the, you know, few moments in his show where he he talks a little bit about himself. He reveals himself, yeah. So, so he talks about that in that episode. And so, but yeah, you're right. His, his name comes from a combination of his parents' name. So Harold, his mother and uh, no, Harold, his father and Jewel, his mother. Yeah. And so that's why you don't hear the name Huel all that often because it's literally made up for this one guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Cause it's, I mean, it sounds like a real name. I wouldn't. Yeah. Have been, I mean, you know? I like the name itself is, is super cool. It has a really nice ring to it. You know, yeah. it kind of has that Stanley alliteration thing like Peter Parker, yeah, right. Huel Hauser, mm-hmm. but you know, it sounds very much like his persona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When you say his name, it, it, you you think of his accent and his his stature and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just fits him so well. Yeah, it does. That's great. So, but yeah, so that's uh, so so yeah, so he was born uh, Huel Burnley Hauser in Galton, Tennessee, uh, October 18, forty five, and so he actually grew up there for most of his childhood, mm-hmm. high schoolhood. Um, he actually attended college in university. Oh, I'm sorry. He first attended college in uh, I think it was. Southern Methodist University or Methodist University? Um, 
I forget the exact name. We have it on the wall back here, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's something like that. That's all right. Um, but he actually attended for, I think, about, uh, I think, six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, he actually uh, stopped his education to, ser- to serve with the Marine Corps uh, Reserves. Oh, okay. And so he served with the Marine Corps Reserves for, for about six months. So he did his, like, six-month training and service and stuff. And then mm-hmm. af- after that, I actually don't know, like, what happened if he, you know, stayed on and everything like that with yeah. the military. But he, uh, we have his service records, and his service records say that he trained with them for six months, and that's where it kind of ends. Oh, okay. And then after that, he goes back to University of Tennessee, Tennessee Knoxville. And mm-hmm. so that's where he finishes off the rest of his education. Okay. Um, doing, you know, his three and a half years there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, going there, he studied uh, mainly political science and uh, history. And sort of that's where he, you know, kind of starts getting his taste for that, for that historical, you know, and political stuff and everything. Um, not a lot of people know this, but he actually worked for Senator Howard Baker. Um, oh. Back in Tennessee and stuff, he uh-huh. served as a, I think, a, I think he was a like a student aide or or like some kind of well, like a government aide basically. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, serving, uh, I think, during his college years. Okay. And so he actually had a little bit of work with uh, in politics and stuff. And so that's a really cool, you know, that's a really cool little tidbit that most people don't know about. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he only did that for probably less than a year or so. Okay. Um, after that, he also, I mean, along with that, he also worked on the the student newspaper uh, at uh, at uh, the university, mm-hmm. um, for which he wrote a bunch of like various articles and stuff like that. Um, there was actually one article that actually comes to mind where he um, basically, I, I actually don't know the exact theme of the article, but it was basically an editorial uh-huh. or like opinion piece. But he was basically talking about how, like how. Um, what is it? He was kind of criticizing the the political climate, in that you know we're fighting the Vietnam War and like you know uh, you know the government is corrupt and all this other stuff and like wow. how uh, what is it like you know people are making fun of like the the hippie you know quote unquote hippies and stuff that want peace and you right. know, no violence and stuff. Yeah. And Hill Hauser actually sided with those people, the hippies, uh-huh. or quote unquote hippies, I should say. Yeah. He actually was against the <clears throat> Vietnam War, and um, I actually I actually don't know. Um, you know, if this is verified or not, but I've read somewhere that Hugh Hauser actually um, joined the Marine Corps Reserves because he wanted to dodge the draft. Oh, okay. And so he, because he was against the war. Right. And so he, um, he actually joined the Marine Corps Reserves so he could avoid going overseas to fight, you know, in the Vietnam War. Oh. And so, you know, even though he didn't really want to be in the military, he thought this was the best way to, Absolutely. you know, to avoid fighting the war mm-hmm. was being in the reserves and stuff. Right. Because otherwise he would have just gotten drafted anyway. Yeah. So instead he just, he decided to volunteer and sign up and everything. But that's what huh. I've, you know, I've read in a, like, I, I read that in a newspaper clipping. I read that in a couple other uh, sources and stuff. I think our own uh, OC Register has written about how he was, um, you know, uh, anti-war and everything. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find anything in our own personal records that states this. Right. Um, except for that one opinion piece he wrote. So clearly in that piece he was kind of talking about how, you know, the, the whole political climate of like you know uh, you know of uh, Republicans and Democrats and like you know anti-war and pro-war things like that. So mm-hmm. it was really super interesting, like that he was kind of on this side. Yeah, because well, and I mean from the body of work that we all know with California's Gold and everything, he 
pretty much avoided a lot of, uh, you know, political stuff, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah. So even though he was interested in politics in his younger years and stuff, um, I think... Um, I think you know. I think he, it was more of a more point of a of service. Uh-huh. Of he wanted to serve his country and help you know people things like that. And I think um, I mean he obviously didn't state this. I'm I'm just actually just assuming this, but yeah. just from what I've you know seen in the records and worked with it, worked with his materials and stuff. I think he he saw his um, that he could serve better and serve the public better by you know telling stories and you know sharing histories and things like that Mm -hmm. and sort of um and he started developing that that you know his interest in that when he started working in uh wsm tv in nashville around 1970 right and so i was basically out of college um he actually started working at the station like almost immediately so he actually was invited by i forget his name but some uh someone higher up in the nashville station wsm tv they invited they basically offered him a job uh because they um they they saw his work with like some student productions at the school Mm -hmm. that he worked at because he he would work with like news stories and the newspaper obviously and various like you know student productions like sharing stories and telling news and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so he basically got offered a job uh right out of um college okay so he actually started working in this the, the news station um in 1970 um and so he was basically there as a field reporter. Um, mm-hmm. So he was doing a lot of local news and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, one of his, one of the things that most people remember about him is all the weird eccentric stories that he would do uh-huh. uh, throughout the, you know, in the local towns and stuff. Right. So, so one of these earliest story, one of the earlier stories that I could, um, that I've seen is um, he did this story about a family who owned a pet pig uh, named Porky the pig. And so... <laughs> Basically, the whole story was just him interviewing the family and yeah. sort of like, so you own this pig, you know, like, right, tell yeah. me about that, you know, <laughs> but he wasn't doing it in this judgmental way. That right. was the, that was the thing that was special about Hillhauser as a, as a news anchor or a television show host. Yeah. He was never off. He never, you know, tried picturing his subjects in a bad light. He mm-hmm. was always being genuine and generous to the people who he was interviewing and talking to. Right. So, you know, he was asking them, you know, like, oh, so like, you know, you own, you own this pig and stuff, like, um, you know, what do you feed them and stuff? And, you know, they're like, you know, it was funny. They, the family said they, they, fed, they feed the, the pork, uh, the pig, like bacon and ham and stuff too. Right. And I'm like, yes. I was like, that's kind of crazy, but you know, <laughs> but Hugh Hauser, but Hugh Hauser taking it generously, he asked them like, oh, so he, he could be eating his brothers and sisters, right, you yeah. know, like in a very kind of comedic, but like not. Not a not an offensive kind not of like way. Judging them for not yeah. judging him for him, and and the family kind of laughed and like, yeah, you know, he probably seen some so. <laughs> some family or something. <laughs> but I'm just like, you know, it's, that's kind of the magic of Yul Hauser as mm-hmm. a as a interviewer <clears throat> and as a TV show host, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but he started developing this skill like even back back in the 70s. Right. Yeah, you could totally see it coming through with yeah, with a, you know, a pig story like that. And so I um so um even then during his Nashville days, uh he was also doing other stuff too. So one of his um I haven't seen any material from his from this specific show, mm-hmm. but he had a show called Rap On. And uh, this show was um at least from what I've read it was it sounds really interesting because basically he would uh, he was the the star of the show, or yeah. you know, the host, I guess. Right. And he would actually interview a lot of uh, local, like Nashville youths, and talk to them about various uh, controversial subjects. 
He would he would talk to them about politics, about race, about social issues. Really, and he would get their opinions uh, on this show, and oh. he would be basically interviewing these students. And it would be the format was basically just like, like you know, five or six students, and they'd just be kind of hanging around in this like TV, you know, studio kind of thing, and uh-huh. like this weird loungy kind of studio setup. Right. Um, but yeah, he would just talk to them about various issues <clears throat> and everything like that. Huh. And so, so he would he would actually get into some of this political stuff uh, in his early. In his early career, mm-hmm. but I think um, I think uh, you know as he progressed, he kind of just started veering away from that because you know most people don't really want to watch politics and stuff like that, or or you know uh, you know opposing views and stuff. I'm assuming mm-hmm. so. I think because of that, he just kind of avoided that and just wanted to show stories and interviews that were that almost anyone could enjoy mm-hmm. you know as long as you're interested in the subject obviously right so well he'll make you interested in it or yeah he'll make <laughs> you interested but yeah i believe that's why he started he <clears throat> kind of started avoiding that um okay. there was an incident in nashville that actually kind of um launched his career outside of uh the state mm-hmm. out of tennis outside of tennessee so um so in 1979 he does he did a he was doing a story about I don't know the exact premise, but I heard clips of the interview. But basically, he was interviewing. Uh, uh, what is it? He went to um, a retirement center, mm-hmm. a retirement community center, uh, and he was uh, interviewing all the all the tenants there, and kind of asking them about their opinions about, you know, growing old, how times change, how things change, and kind of like that, kind of like a moral or you know, kind of philosophical story about how things change and how things grow old and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But he was interviewing these people uh, at this retirement center. Right. And that was kind of the main story. But in the middle of this story, he kind of talks about the demolition of the Tennessee's governor's mansion. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but basically he actually editorialized on air. He he actually told his opinions live on TV. Right. And actually, you know, as a news anchor, he wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah. So... He was actually punished for it. He was uh, suspended for about a month without pay. And, um, you know, he wasn't allowed to do any stories and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. he was just told to go home and just, you know, wait there until your 30 days is up, basically. Yeah. Um, And so during which he actually uh, decided to quit because he didn't want to work there anymore. You know, he he didn't agree that he couldn't give his opinions about uh, how he didn't how he didn't agree with the decision to demo, demolish the mansion because mm-hmm. he he thought it should be preserved yeah. it was being uh i think take torn down for like a kentucky fried chicken or something <laughs> for like a fast food restaurant <laughs> yeah right and so you know he was just like that's that's idiotic that's ridiculous basically, you know? yeah, yeah and so so he he gave his opinions <clears throat> about this uh this demolition while he did that story mm-hmm. and so he decided to quit and uh he he actually took a job in new york in uh, in their new st- in one of their new stations there, mm-hmm. and so uh, he worked there for about four years or so, um, and during that time he kind of was doing the same stuff that he's famous for. So he interviewed, you know, he would go around different places around the tri-state area of New York and the surrounding states, mm-hmm. and uh, he would interview people, visit different sites and places and things like that, right. and kind of do his California's Gold thing prior, you know, before California's Gold. Yeah, right. And so. So we actually don't have a whole lot about his his time there, mm-hmm. um, but I, I can say that he probably met a lot of famous people while he was living in New York. Um, uh, one of which is actually Stan Lee. So oh really? Yeah. So he actually met Stan Lee. Um, I actually don't know what the context was, um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe he interviewed Stan Lee or something. Mm-hmm. But 
or maybe they actually worked closely in the same like building or area and stuff like that because yeah. you know it's like they, he was in the hotbed of all the media stuff in New York yeah and so um, but he actually so as a little parting gift Stan Lee and John Romita uh, senior who was actually who's one of the Marvel art uh, Marvel comics artists at uh, at Marvel mm-hmm. they they actually he drew this comic of uh, Hugh Hauser meeting Stan Lee or not meeting Stan Lee but shaking hands with Stan Lee no way really yeah and it's and the and the drawing is autographed by John Romita and Stan Lee oh that's so and cool and so and he, they gifted this to, to Hugh Hauser before um, you know before they before he left for California yeah it was a parting gift for him um, when he went to to, to, to move here to take the, his job with uh, KCBS TV uh-huh and so so um so yeah, and so that started in 1980. Uh, no, yeah, like 1980s. Mm-hmm. So he started um, working here in California with KCBS TV. So do you, uh, do you know why he decided to move from New York to LA? I actually could not find anything on his decision there to move. Uh-huh. I'm assuming maybe just the change of scenery or he just wanted to work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I could tell, there was nothing like no bad blood or anything like that. Okay. Um, I could be wrong since I haven't seen anything about it and maybe there's just records about it, but mm-hmm. we haven't, I haven't seen anything in our, in our archive about like his decision to move to New York. Okay. Um, not to say that there isn't anything, but I, I haven't, yeah, could be. you know, t- to be honest with you, I haven't looked at every single record <laughs> in our collection. You guys got a lot so, of stuff. So, yeah. But anyways, um, uh, so yeah, see, so he moved over to California in 1980. Mm-hmm. And so he started working at KCBS TV, um, uh, primarily as a, another field reporter, a local news story guy mm-hmm. uh, for that station. But along with that, he actually did other stuff too. So he did KCBS TV. He did CNN, um, not oh. that long actually. So at CNN, he was um, kind of like the the guest reporter for CNN uh, mm-hmm. every now and then. But he actually did a couple news stories with CNN. Um, he also um, worked with Southern California Edison for a little bit too. Really? Yeah. So Southern California Edison um, hired Hugh Hauser in the early mid '80s to uh-huh. do uh, to do a couple to do a short series about um, about different Edison facilities. Huh. And so. I think there was like, I believe it was like eight episodes. Uh, Hauser went to uh, various Edison facilities and interviewed the workers there, some historians and representatives, and was kind of just getting a background about these locations, about what they do there. Mm-hmm. Um, these uh, these uh, little short videos were actually used as uh, internal self-promotion for the, for the company staff. Right, okay. So... Not a lot of people know this little history about Hauser, but this is one of his earliest works in California, this little Southern California Edison stuff. Right, okay. Um, so, but he was actually, uh, so not a lot of people know this because it was only given to staff of Edison. Uh, so, um, but actually, uh, it was actually a couple of years ago, Edison reached out to, this, to us mm-hmm. and they actually found this old footage of, of Hauser. Oh, sweet. And they were like, hey, like, we, you know, we, we forgot that he did this, but we found <laughs> like, uh, you know, video files of uh, his old of these interviews and stuff and so would you like copies of that and so we said yes obviously yeah yeah, right so so yeah we actually have that in our archive as well nice Um, so but yeah so he did those things before he started doing um kcet okay so he started doing um kct around 1984 1985 Mm -hmm. um uh which which he was contracted to do video log which was his very first series with um kct and so uh, are you familiar with video log 
Uh, no, not. I mean, I've heard of the name. I've heard of it, but I, I don't think I've really seen many episodes or anything. Okay, so well, so they actually don't show any video log nowadays, just because of the the format it took place in. Uh-huh. So video log essentially were these old, not old, um, short, eight to ten minute snippets of Hulhauser doing his thing. And so basically, he would go to various locations, interview people, you know, whatever it was, and they would, uh, and they would, um, he would do this episode. And mm-hmm. they were very short. The reason being was because they were used as uh, as filler programs for the uh, the TV scheduling gaps that KCT would have in their programming schedule. Oh, okay. So if there were any programs that either ran short or too long, mm-hmm. and they kind of needed to, you know. Uh, even out the schedule because like you know the next show would air 8.45 or something like that they would slot in this uh, you know this video log episode as a almost as a commercial break kind of thing okay um, or as a as a filler yeah because uh, you know they were short they were like 8 to 10 minutes long right and so uh, so that was actually Hillhauser's very first uh, you know contract work with KCET right okay and so he did that for about uh, like four years or so um or yeah, like three to four years. Okay. Um, and so during that time, he uh, was thinking about you know uh, a new show he could do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, actually, he was thinking about two shows. So uh, he liked the format of video log. He liked just going to places, interviewing people, visiting random locations, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of just you know documenting it. Yeah. Um, he liked that format, so he wanted to. But but because it was an eight to ten minute format, he wanted to expand it to a longer uh, runtime. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted it. You know, he wanted like a full thirty minutes or, or hour long program. Right. So he um, he was thinking about two shows, uh, two ways to expand it. Uh, one was he could do um, just basically a longer runtime of what video log was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, instead of eight to ten minutes, it would be twenty-five minutes or an hour-long program, depending on what they were uh, filming. Yeah. Um, and then the other uh, series he wanted to do was a statewide series, uh, but in the same format, longer runtime, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So these two shows were actually California's Gold and Visiting with Yule Hauser. Really? Okay. So, um, so that's how they were b- basically born. Um, yeah. Now the funny thing is. Um, is that since we don't have any of the contract work that he did with KCET, yeah. I actually can't say specifically on like how these two shows were like like the full details on how they were both born. Yeah. Uh, but visiting was actually a show contracted by KCET. Mm-hmm. So because it basically was just an expansion of video log, uh, they it was basically uh, something that case it was the uh, it, uh, KCT owned the copyright to visiting. Okay, I see. Um, so so Hielhauser was doing the show. It was his show, but it was contract work. Okay. And they basically just, you know, hired him to do it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um California's Gold though, that was Hielhauser's baby. That was his show. He okay. owned the copyright to that, the intellectual property rights, all that stuff. Really? Okay. So for California's Gold to be born, he basically uh proposed the idea to his TV executives at KCT. He told them, "Hey, you know, I want to do the show about California." Um, you know, it's, I want to go around to different places, different cities. I want to go not only through Southern California and the greater Los Angeles area, but I want to go central California, Northern California. Just, I want to go all over the place mm-hmm. because, um, as you might know, uh, video log was actually only took place in, uh, the greater, uh, Los Angeles area, Southern California. Okay. That's kind of mainly where it took place. I see. He didn't really expand northward um, or anywhere else outside of those areas. Mm-hmm. So it mainly took place in those. Right. So California's goal was a way for him to travel more of the state and show more of the you know stories and places that he wasn't exploring. Mm-hmm. 
So when he proposed this idea to KCT, they actually weren't uh, sold on the idea right away. Okay. So in partnership with Bank of America, I think it was Bank of America that they that he got the loan from, because uh, KCT wasn't full, wasn't willing to fully fund the entire uh, project. Okay. So Heelhauser actually had to get a loan from a bank. So I believe it was Bank of America. Yeah. And so it was like a I think the loan was about four hundred thousand dollars to <laughs> to start the project. But basically, KCT and, and uh, the bank would like partner together, and they would, you know, if if Hillhauser could fulfill this one condition, they would give him the money, and they would support him in whatever they needed. Okay. Basically, and so the money that he was going to get from the bank for the four hundred thousand, that was basically the money that was going to start Hillhauser Productions, which was his production company. Okay. But basically, the condi- the condition that he had to do for for the bank and KCT to support him. Uh, and give him the money and all that stuff was basically he had to go through all of California and visit all the PBS affiliate stations in California. Those uh-huh. are all the K stations. So KVIE, KCET, KQED, KXIE, uh-huh. uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the rest, but those are the ones that I, I remember off the top of my head. Right. He had to go to all of them and get them to agree to air this show, California's Gold. So that was the stipulation that he had to get all of them to, to agree before he could get that loan money? The, the loan money and K, basically KTT, uh, KCT support. Okay. Because uh, <clears throat> he used KCT as their headquarters. Like his <clears throat> offices were there. You know, they got, he's got some uh, staff from KCT. You know, they helped him with a lot of stuff, sponsors, yeah. things like that. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, but uh, what is it? But the condition was, and KCT was only one of them. They were kind of like, I would say they were 50-50. So like... All right, this sounds cool, but if we could make this a bigger thing throughout the state, then we'll support you. But if we're only if we're going to be the only station that airs it, it's, it doesn't seem like a worthwhile project for us. I see. So um, he actually went through all the stations, all the all twelve other stations, because KCT was the thirteenth one. He went to twelve other stations and got all of them to agree to air this show, California's Gold. They all agreed. They all agreed. Okay. So he got signed contracts from all of them. They said they all said yes. Yeah. Now, mind you, the interesting fact to me is that Hugh Hauser didn't have a pilot episode of California's Gold. He did not have a sample or anything <laughs> you could show him. I imagine he probably showed them like video log or you know oh, yeah, like yeah. like a sample like he oh this is what I like kind of do right or or maybe they're already <laughs> familiar with his format. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a, like a pilot episode, he did not have anything like that of California's Gold to show the people he was proposing the, wow. the project to. Okay. So he was basically just a salesman telling yeah. these people, hey, I want to do this show about California. Will you air it? Yeah. And, and they all said yes. <laughs> and so, Jeez. so he came back. And that was like a two-week road trip or something like that. Yeah. Um, so he came back uh, and showed them, you know, hey, like I got everyone to sign these papers. And they're all, they all agreed to air this show <laughs> and stuff. And they're like, oh, okay. So they gave him the money. Uh, and that was enough to start his company. Mm-hmm. Um, the first person he hired was Luis Forte. Nice. Who was his cameraman. Yep. Um, uh, what is it? So, and like, you know, they hired other staff too, but one of the first people he hired was, was the cameraman, Luis Forte, nice. which most people would recognize him as by the name Louis. Yeah. Uh, his actual name is Luis, but, but he'll call him Louis like all the time. <laughs> okay. So, and, and Luis never corrected him on it. I think he didn't mind, right. but, uh, but, uh, what is it? So, you know, most people recognize Louis because he often called out Louis by name yeah. when he was doing the show. So he'd be like, Hey Louis, get a shot of this, yeah. you know? So man so yeah so and that's how basically how california's gold got started right and so 
Uh, it, California's Gold uh, started in 1991 and aired all the way to 2012. Visiting with Hill Hauser was, I believe, 1993 uh, and went all the way to 2012. Wow, okay. Or 2011, something like that. Yeah, that's crazy because they're, they're similar shows, but he did both of them like simultaneously for you know however long. He did, yes. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's funny because a lot of people, and there's a, there's a lot of overlap with both shows. He would take California's Gold episodes and air them as visiting episodes. Really? He would take visiting episodes and air them as California's Gold episodes. Okay. Um, so people, people would be forgiven if they saw one show over the other and thought it was all California's Gold. Yeah. Because to a lot of people, Hugh Hauser only did California's Gold. Yeah. Because it because it all looked the same. Right. The format never changed. Really, the only the only way you could tell that he did these different episodes and series and stuff it was if you caught the title card at the very beginning of each episode. <laughs> right. And most people did not. Yeah. It was just Hauser. <laughs> yeah, it was just Hauser. So yeah. doing his thing. So so you know a lot of people actually don't know about video log. A lot of people don't know about visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't even know about the other <clears throat> offshoot series he's done, like the missions episodes, the parks episodes, the fairs. Yeah. Uh, you know, to a lot of people people that's just all california's gold right but they're actually all their own unique series so did do you know if like did he kind of start his own production company and everything sort of like uh i don't want to say it's like desperation but almost because he needed to because kcet wouldn't really fund a whole second show for him i think um yeah i would say yeah not really it's not really desperation but it's probably the only alternative he had okay i would say um but I think another reason, too, is because he wanted, like, kind of full control over whatever he wanted to do. Okay. So the special thing with the California series, so including gold, including fairs, parks, missions, water, green, all that stuff. Yeah. Because that was all produced by Hauser Productions, they could literally do whatever they want. Yeah. And the only, the only thing was they contracted a set amount of episodes mm-hmm. per season to KCT and all the other PBS stations. Mm-hmm. So each, each season they were, you know, contracted to do, oh, you know, 13 or 18 episodes or, or however many there were. Right. And that was, that was basically his contract. Just like do this many episodes, whatever you want, yeah. you know, and, and that was it. That's basically. great. So th- I think it was kind of like 50, 50. So it was, I think because like there was no other alternative mm-hmm. and uh, you know, half of the, half of the reason was because he wanted kind of creative control on the project and he kind of wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. Right. So why, do you know why they kept, you know, both shows sort of running the same time and not just kind of combine them into something? Was it just uh, oh, because sure. of different ownership? Or? Uh, it's, um, for one, it's different ownership. So since, as I mentioned before, uh, KCT owned the IP rights to visiting. Yeah. And Hauser, or California's Gold was Hauser's. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the reason why they aired both of them at the same time. Another reason, too, was um, California's Gold actually had a set air date every, every new episode. Oh, okay. And visiting, similar to Videolog, because it was just an expansion of Videolog. Right. Visiting aired at random times throughout the day. Just to fill in gaps. Just to fill in gaps and stuff. Uh, There would be new episodes all the time, but it didn't have a set uh, air schedule like California's Gold did. I believe uh, California's Gold was like every night on Sunday or something. I think that was like when the new episodes aired or something. Mm -hmm. But visiting would literally air randomly throughout the day. You could catch it in the morning, at nighttime, afternoon, whatever. But basically it was used as an, also as filler programming for similar to, similar to the way video log was used. Okay. So, but I believe that's kind of like why they kept both going. I think for Hugh Hauser too, it was also just a way for him to just keep doing what he loved, which Mm -hmm. was filmmaking and Mm -hmm. documenting stories and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So I'm curious about like his kind of his skills and how he developed it. Like, 
because he he sort of started doing this stuff right in you know right out of school. He he started doing you know versions of what became California's Gold. It seems like, but like sure, <laughs> you yeah. know, from what you've seen and kind of looking back, did he you know in those first episodes and stuff? you know was it a little shaky or anything or was it did he kind of have that you know no actually you know it's funny I, he he comes off just as confident in his first episodes of california's gold as he did in his last episodes of california's gold okay like to, to be honest the only the only difference i could i could tell you know you could tell right away was just how old he was right yeah. like because he looked a lot younger obviously in his earlier days of california's gold mm-hmm. but the way he conducted his interviews the way he talked the way you know, he like stood up and like was confident in the sh- in you know on camera and stuff. Mm-hmm. He, you couldn't really tell the difference. He got more efficient, obviously, yeah. but the efficiency was kind of behind the scenes. Okay. But in terms of the way he portrayed himself on camera, like he didn't, you know, you couldn't really tell the difference. To be honest, mm-hmm. every episode he he would introduce himself. Hi, I'm Yul Hauser. Like, you know, we're gonna go on this great adventure today. You know, it was like the same thing every single episode. Yeah, and like he did not change that. Like. Anytime he found his format um, and it worked. Yeah, he, he had his format and his work. Um, I I remember hearing that like even in his earlier days of doing this like in Nashville and stuff, he actually already had like a knack for being on camera and stuff. Okay, so it was already something that was kind of like that came naturally to him. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know maybe it's just you know he's the one lucky few that can be at natural on camera and stuff like that you know right yeah but um but yeah so Hillhauser didn't really at, at least from what I could tell visually he didn't really need to develop his uh interviewing skills and stuff okay. now now in terms of getting better though they did get more efficient as um as they went on when they did when they filmed all their shows and stuff mm-hmm. so as a concrete example <clears throat> some of the earlier episodes of California's Gold and and visiting and stuff. Some of those earlier tapes would have, say, r- say roughly ten to thirteen tapes of raw footage. Okay. And so, you know, that's that's obviously all the raw footage, all the different cuts and takes they would do for uh, various, you know, you know, interviews and scenes and stuff. Right. Um, later down the line, like you know, ten years later or however long, like that, those um, that that amount of raw footage got less and less. Yeah. And so they would be, instead of cutting, you know, 10 tapes of raw footage, they would be looking at, you know, five to three tapes of raw footage. Right. And so they would be filming less and less. Um, the reason being is like, in terms of his efficiency, Hauser was, got better and better over the years at editing in his head. At like basically like imagining the scene, imagining how the interview would go mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of prepping for the show or pre- prepping for the actual a recording of a of a scene. Right. He would actually get better and better at that. Okay. And by the by the time he um like you know in the in the late 2010s and stuff or whatever um, or later on in his career, he basically got so good that he by the time they finished recording all the raw footage when they would get back to the studio, he remembered and knew which scenes he wanted to take from the raw footage tapes. Yeah. And so he would just like go to each tape and like fast forward to the right spot and like, this is the scene I want. This is the scene I want. You know, yada, yada. And yeah. so he got really good at that. Man. And so, so, so in terms of getting better at his job, at his craft, uh, that was one aspect he got better at. Yeah. But in terms of like, you know, the interviewing style, he kind of was like the same throughout his entire career. Just kind of a natural at it. Kind of a natural at interviewing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that I don't know if this is out of becoming better at his craft or just maybe something he kind of knew right away. But uh, Hillhauser was kind of special in the way he interviewed people. So... 
And, and this kind of comes from a variety of reasons and stuff. So Hauser for, you know, for one, he wasn't exposure news. He wasn't like, you know, trying to make fun of people. He wasn't mm-hmm. trying to, you know, expose people in a bad light, things like that. Right. He was just trying to share people's stories, their lives, and kind of show them as genuinely as possible. Mm-hmm. So because of the, just the inherent nature of his show and like his whole goal, yeah. uh, that lent itself to this interesting interviewing style where he kind of kept things simple and he kind of kept things very non-elitist, basically. Because mm-hmm. when he interviewed his subjects, he would ask them very simple questions. He would often repeat the same things that they would say when, he would, uh, when they would give him an answer. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, um, and, you know uh, what is it? He always encouraged uh, his interviewees to like, not speak with big words and just like, kind of talk from, you know, from the heart and stuff right. like that. Speak from the heart. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so he actually... He, he was um, pretty aware of how his interviewing style was probably the best way to get these people talking in terms of the way his format was run. Okay. Because he wanted to share people's, you know, basically most vulnerable moments and just kind of show people as they were. Mm-hmm. He had to be as, you know, as kind and as simple and as generous as possible as an interviewer. Right. Yeah, well, and he, he just comes across very comforting and, you know, people don't, it's relaxing. People right. don't seem you know, nervous or anything. If he, if he didn't anything. have his microphone and the camera guy following him, he would just be a random guy talking to you and yeah. just showing genuine interest in your career, your life, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You know, just the fact that he has this microphone just kind of changes that a little bit, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, um, but yeah, so he, you know, his interviewing style was a very, you know, he kept it very simple. You know, he has this quote like, you know, TV, you know, TV isn't rocket science, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I might be misquoting it, but he said something like that. Yeah. Um, and he and he truly believed that. He mm-hmm. truly believed the work he was doing was was simple, or not simple, but like you know, anyone could do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't you don't have to be a, a you know a famous TV persona to do what he was doing. He really encouraged people and like was really adamant about what he was doing was not incredibly special. Okay. Even though a lot of people thought it was special. Right, you know? yeah. A lot of people like, you know, hold Hauser in high regard, but you know, I would say, you know, I would say on his behalf that he himself would probably be like, you know, anyone could do what I did. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not special. Yeah. He never thought of himself as this, you know, special mythic character or figure. Mm-hmm. He would take advantage of that, obviously. Right, but, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> you know, in terms of his business and his uh, success of his show. Yeah, of course. But he, you know, he like didn't think what he was doing was that special compared mm-hmm. to, you know, other stuff. He, he was just being himself, being yeah, interested. He was just being himself. He was just interested in people's stories, you know, just as long as he encouraged people, as long as you took genuine interest in people's lives, yeah. you could get some kind of magic out of it. Nice. And so he truly believed that. Yeah. Well, in the way he would just kind of, you see it in the shows, how he would just walk up to people who, you know, don't even know that he's there. He's just behind them and they're just, you know, looking at some landmark or something and he'll just walk up and put the microphone in their face and start sure, asking yeah. questions. So that's, a, that's another one of his like techniques, you know, quote unquote techniques was the, his, the way he like, you know, for lack of a better word, bum rush people yeah, right. when, uh, you know, he would interview them. So that's one thing he would do with, uh, with, uh, his interview subjects or just random people he would start talking to. If he wanted to talk to someone and it was someone that wasn't really planned for the, in, for the segment or whatever, mm-hmm. he would like go right up to them and, you know, he would grab their arm or like shoulder and like start talking to them, stick the microphone right in front of their face. The reason he did that was because, um, he, he felt that 
if he didn't give people a chance to be nervous, they wouldn't really have time to register like, oh, shoot, I'm on camera, you know, I'm on TV and stuff. Yeah, right. And they would just kind of start talking automatically and stuff. And that was also another reason why he used a microphone. He felt that it made for better television. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just made people more willing to talk into a microphone rather than just kind of talking to some random guy with a, you know, lapel mic. Oh, okay, know? interesting. So, yeah, because, you know, back in, you know, they have, they've had lapel mics forever. Yeah. And so Hugh Hauser, you know, he liked using the handheld microphone. And, like, even though they had the technology for lapel mics and they could have bought one and stuff like that, mm-hmm. he didn't like it. He, he wanted to hold the microphone and stick it in people's faces and have them talk into the microphone. Okay. You know, even though they didn't need to do that. <clears throat> right, he really used it as a tool. He used it as, like, an interviewing tool. Yeah. As a, you know, for lack of a better word, a psychological tool kind of thing. Uh-huh. He felt that, you know, putting this thing in people's faces, you know, they would, they would kind of just start talking into it. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Know, so, yeah. So, um, we talked about like kind of the other shows that he did. Um, but didn't like, if I remember correctly, he had like a show that didn't really take off, but it was called like the bench or park bench or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So he had a couple of shows that didn't take off. Um, one was the benches. Uh, that's, that's the, that's a funny one. And then the other one's hot summer nights. Now the bench from what <laughs> I've heard was, did not go on just because it was not successful. The uh-huh. Hot Summer Nights, I believe, was just was just planned for one season. So oh, okay. I don't know if that one was a bad show or not. I've seen episodes of both. Hot Summer Nights is the better one, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bench is not good. <laughs> so, well, um, yeah, what and was I, the and I feel like the- I, mean, I even feel like Hillhauser would say the bench <laughs> is not one of his good ones. Um, so the difference, basically, um, each one ran for a season long, or roughly a season long. Uh-huh. Um, but the premise for both shows was... Um, the bench basically, uh, the basic premise of this, uh, as the title suggests, he would go to a random city bench and start talking to the people sitting on the bench, around the bench, or whatever. Right. Yeah. I remember there was one episode he actually talked to like a local, like I guess just a, like a local, like a person that lived around the area, mm-hmm. and was just talking to them, and like they were standing around the city bench or whatever, or park bench or whatever it was. Right. And that's that's the whole show, is just him talking to these random people. Yeah. And so. Even though it kind of sounds funny, like as a you know in ex, you know in in terms of idea, yeah. the execution was was not good. Um, the reason being is because most of these people hanging around these city benches were just people resting or waiting for the bus or you know just random people not interested in being on TV. Right. Okay. And so you know so like it just didn't make for good television. But his idea was that like anybody, everybody has like a story to tell and he was trying yeah. to find it, right? So that, that was the thing with that show. It was, that was the bench. And I can't, I can't say if this is what Huel thought, but I would say that the bench was kind of his, the purest form of Huel's philosophy in terms of filmmaking was uh-huh. that everyone had a story. And you, if you show genuine interest, you could talk to anyone and get like great TV out of it. Yeah. The bench, on the other hand, in terms of execution, like didn't really, you know, support that theory uh-huh. and stuff like that because <laughs> it just wasn't that popular. A lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, I get um, you. I mean, it's funny to look at and like it's an interesting part of Hauser's career. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, that just wasn't a good show. Right. Hot Summer Nights, on the other hand, I would say is a lot better mm-hmm. um, and actually is probably more similar to his California's Golden Visiting shows than. Uh, the bench was okay hot summer nights basically each uh for one summer i don't know if it was like if they actually did this for the premise but basically the premise was like Huel was bored one hot summer night so he decided to go out and do something 
That was kind of the premise or the idea behind it. Right, but yeah. I'm pretty sure just watching the show, it had a lot more planning to it than that. Yeah. Uh, because they would go to establishments and locations and actually interview people that knew what they were talking they about. Had, okay, like I see. So, you know, I'm assuming they actually had more planning to, to that show than, than what the bench had. Yeah, right. But um, what I thought was interesting about Hot Summer Nights, I haven't seen the entire series. Um, but uh, from the couple shows that I've seen and just the, off the titles I've seen, um, I think Hot Summer Nights was interesting because Hot Summer Nights was, um, he would kind of go to um, uh, low-income communities and ethnic communities and sort of get different, uh, you know, people's uh, point of views and their lives and stuff mm-hmm. from, you know, from a less ga- glamorous point of view and everything. Okay. So he didn't like, you know, because, you know, sometimes, for the most part, he interviewed like your average Joe. Yeah, but you know these would people be these would be people like in like you know with cool museums and farms and like really cool establishments or had interesting jobs. Uh-huh. Uh, what what was interesting about Hot Summer Nights was he would just kind of go down to people who were doing stuff at these establishments. Okay. So one one example was um, he went to a I believe it was like a salsa dance club, uh-huh. and so he was interviewing um, you know these uh, you know all the people who were attending this this salsa club and just kind of interviewing them like oh so you like salsa dancing and stuff you know kind of like that okay and then another episode was he went to a, an adult night school uh-huh. and he was interviewing the the people who attended the night school wow and so you know so he just, actually did the, these like interesting stories of uh of slices of life that you know most television people wouldn't give the time of day of yeah right and so I think that was what was interesting. I actually, I actually can't say for certain if, if the whole point was to visit these like, you know, ethnic communities and low-income communities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I remember seeing a newspaper clipping and they kind of described Hot Summer Nights as that kind of show. Okay. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just them describing it in their words and stuff. Right, yeah. But, um, but that show uh, was short-lived. It was only about 13 or 12 episodes, I, I believe. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so those are the two shows that only had a one season each. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just loved like getting to, uh, it seemed like he loved just kind of the average person and getting the story all the time. Right. Yeah. The- and he was willing to do that with literally anyone and stuff. Uh, like one thing I like about Hugh Hauser's show is that, uh, what is it? And I remember, I, f- I forget who, who it was, but one of his, one of his staff actually told me this was that, you know, one of the, one of the things with Hauser when he recorded or when he did these different episodes and stuff was that, um, you know, some people might take notice might notice this, but he actually did a lot of stories about various uh, communities of of color, ethnic communities. You know, you know, you basically your you know your non your non white communities and stuff. Mm-hmm. He would interview these various communities and like get their stories and share these cultures and sell you know celebrations and their traditions and stuff you know one episode he he did a whole story about the iranian new year you know another episode he did about um about the uh african-american walk of fame out in los angeles i believe Uh, i I think crenshaw Uh um you know another one he did uh on just persian food or or no not persian food uh indian food and so you know and so like you know, so he did these, you know, various stories about these communities and stuff like that. He did an episode about halal food and what halal means and like, you know, why people eat halal food right. and stuff like that. And like what the religious meaning behind that is and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, you know, not only is he interv- is he going to these places of, you know, of rich history 
and culture and stuff, but he's also sharing cultures that most people probably wouldn't be familiar with or mm -hmm. wouldn't know, you know, the story about and stuff like that. Right. You know, watching that halal food episode, that's the first time I learned about halal food and like what it what it actually means. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, oh, like that's what it means. Like I actually didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. You know? And like granted I could have probably Googled it, but you know, I saw the episode instead and like so yeah, I got a cool educational you know, you know, I got an education out of it, but I also got to watch Hugh Hauser out of it too. Yeah, well, but, you wouldn't have even thought to, you know, Google it. He's the one who brought it to your attention. You know? Right, that's the thing. So Hugh Hauser finds these little cool, you know, histories, traditions, uh, tidbits of information and stuff, and he'll do an episode about it and kind of just share you, like, hey, you might not have known about this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a cool part of, you know, the world and like history and culture and life and stuff like that. Yeah, and so. I remember, I think it was Ryan Morris, but he was telling me that like there was one time that I think they were in some kind of a, it was like maybe a, like a public reception of some kind. Mm -hmm. And someone, he was with Hugh Hauser and someone came up to Hugh Hauser and, you know, he was, you know, he was telling Hugh Hauser like, hey, you know, I noticed that you do a lot of like stories about, you know, ethnic communities and like, you know, non-white communities and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. like, you know, are you just, are you trying to educate us about like, you know, these various cultures that you know we're not familiar with and stuff mm -hmm. and Hillhauser, you know tells them like yeah but you can't tell the people that you, oh, okay. you gotta you gotta just show the information as it is and stuff like that right okay you know you gotta just you know just uh, treat it just like anything else you know just as not entertainment but you know as, as like you know as tv and stuff like that mm -hmm. and so he he thought even then that you know what he was doing like was educating the people but you know you can't come off as like oh let me tell you about this thing right you have yeah. to come off as just like hey let me share this cool little bit of history with you right or whatever he was talking about yeah okay i and like so that. so yeah so that's one thing i appreciate about Hugh hazard mm -hmm. is you know he would share with you these various cultures and traditions and stories that you might not have known about and not all of them have to be historically significant some of them could be just locally significant mm -hmm. so one one um, episode that i actually really like um partly because it actually took place near my hometown um of west covina so the episode takes place in baldwin park which is like right down the street from west covina right and so baldwin park <clears throat> or in this town baldwin park i believe they held this at the high school there baldwin park high school mm -hmm. um the episode is uh i think it's called green chilies or chili peppers but oh yeah. I don't know if you remember if I've you've seen, seen this one. one. Yeah, you've yeah. seen this one. Yeah, yeah. So where they're roasting the green chilies, right? Yeah. And so this this <clears throat> episode is actually really interesting because actually I've been living down the street from Baldwin Park High School all my life and I had no idea this thing was happening yeah. right down the street from me and I love green chilies. So like <laughs> so I was just like, "Oh man." So basically, if you haven't seen the episode, um or for those of people for those people who haven't seen the episode, yeah. uh Hauser visits this uh, high school where they hold this basically it's not really an auction, but basically this, this marketplace for green chilies. Um, and basically, this family uh, living in Baldwin Park um, originally came from Hatch, New Mexico. And what they would do is, um, because they love the chilies from Hatch, New Mexico, um, they would actually order uh, chili peppers from, from this specific uh, town in New Mexico. And basically, what happened was this, they started selling these chilies to various, various people who originally either came from New Mexico or Hatch, New Mexico, or just were familiar with the chilies and loved the chilies so much. Mm -hmm. And so he basically started selling these uh, chilies by the batch, by the dozen, by by the pounds, but but basically the establishment 
or this event started growing and growing to the point that they hold this like cool event once a year at uh, Baldwin Park High School where they would order truckloads of hatch uh, chili peppers yeah. and they would sell them by the bag and they would roast the chili peppers on the spot mm-hmm. and they'd sell them by the bag to, to the various people who wanted to buy them. Yeah. And so, but what's <clears throat> interesting is that it got so popular that people... Um, that so many people started ordering chilies to the point that they would have to take reservations in advance and you'd have to make your orders a year in advance before the actual event. Right. And so if you wanted, say, five bags of chilies, you'd have to call in like a year before, call the family and tell them, hey, I want five bags of chili peppers. Mm -hmm. And they would take your order and then they would order enough chilies to fulfill all these different orders and stuff. And they would sell them on the spot. And like, that's a cool, like, that's not... His, that's not like historically significant, but locally, traditionally, that's like really cool. That's, that's a awesome. cool part of Baldwin Park's history yeah. and a part of this family's history, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he would do a lot of these, you know, just local traditions and, you know, various things that, you know, not a lot of people might not know about. Yeah. Even like establishments too. And like, like what would happen to these places, like, like the, you know, chili guys or uh, like Brogares, you know, Milk, sure, bro, like, there. Yeah, like what would happen after he showed these, like the, the episodes went on the air, they would just get flooded with people afterwards, right? Yeah, 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 that's true. A lot of, um, a lot of establishments like thanked Teal Hauser because, yeah. you know, <laughs> for, you know, to, you know, not to lie, but like maybe some of these establishments might not have survived if, it wasn't, true. if it wasn't for Teal Hauser. Yeah. Uh, Porto's Bakery is a great example. So are you familiar with Porto's Bakery? No, no. So they're a bakery out in... Um, Originally started out in Glendora, California, and um, oh shoot, I'm trying to remember the country they come from. I think they're either a Colombian bakery or uh, oh shoot, I-, I could probably just Google this, but it's uh, they're they're uh, uh, the 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 folks who started the bakery originally from South America. Okay, um, and so they started this bakery, and um, they would make a lot of traditional uh, pastries that like they that came from uh, from their you know. Uh, home country mm-hmm. and so they originally started in Glendora California and it was just this dinky little bakery shop but they serviced a lot of the people who came from that country as well and because like they would be making these like you know traditional bake pastries and stuff and and new pastries but like a lot of people that were local would like order these you know all order all the breads and stuff like that and Hulazer did an episode about this uh, this bakery mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> when he did that episode like more people that like didn't know about this bakery started going to this bakery and started ordering the bread and stuff. And you know, like a lot of people started realizing, oh, their food is actually really good. You know, yeah. Like a lot of people like would have just assumed these like little little mom and pop shops might not be good or something like that, mm-hmm. or you know, or maybe that's the assumption. Right. But um, but you know, like this little little dinky bakery like became like this famous establishment of of California. Yeah. They have now, I believe, four locations throughout California. And like they're like big locations. There's one in West Covina. There's one, I believe, in Glendale now. Mm-hmm. There's one in Pasadena, and I think there's one in I think Long Beach now. Oh, I could okay. be wrong about that. Wow. Uh, but um, but I, but last I heard, they have like four locations now, and they all started from that one little baker, dinky bakery and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's like you know that's like a story you know that lends itself to how Hugh House, how popular Hugh Hauser can can make an establishment. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's so cool. So, yeah, that's a really great example. He's like the original, like, Yelp or something, you know, where he could, it's like, 
expose people to places like that that you would never even right, think to go yeah, to. Yeah, you know, he was like the original Yelp. I would say he was like the original like Anthony Bourdain or yeah, yeah. you know, or like some of these people that would travel around like doing food stuff. I mean, he didn't do exclusively food stuff. Right. But you know, every now and then he'd do a food episode and stuff like donut that. Donut shop or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Donut shop and stuff. But what was interesting about Huel Hauser was that he wasn't interested in the food. Uh, I mean, he would love to eat the food and stuff, but he was more interested in about the people's stories, yeah. about the people's lives and how they got started and stuff like that. Right. And that's kind of what made his, uh, his show special was that he was focused on the people and not like, oh, you could get this cool like burger here, you know, yada, yada or whatever. You know, yeah, like yeah, that. that's true. It wasn't just like weird, crazy food or something. He would always focus on the establishment or the people running it or something like that. Right, yeah. He always focused on the people. Yeah. Yeah, or the story that the people... You know, I had to tell. Right. So, yeah. So do you, like, this is a question I get all the time from this podcast is like how I would, I come up with new episode ideas and stuff, but I'll just find, you know, books or the internet's great. But how, do you know how Huel would kind of find new ideas for episodes? Sure. So, yeah. So Huel, um, Huel actually, uh, so one, one interesting aspect about his show, at least with California's Gold, was that um, KCT actually didn't have really any say in what subjects he covered. As long as Huel Hauser was interested in the subject, they would do it. So now in, in terms of how they found subjects for shows, uh, it would be kind of the way, same way how you described for your show. Mm-hmm. Um, Huel Hauser uh, and his staff, they would either you know, uh, look at newspapers, watch news stories, look at magazines, um, even word of mouth. People would just tell them, hey, like, I, you know, there's this cool shop over here that you could take a look at. You know? like maybe you could do an episode about them yeah. or something like that. Right. And that's kind of like what uh, Huel, that's kind of how he he uh, you know found his the subjects for his shows. Okay. Now in terms of the criteria of what he chose, um, he he always described them as hidden gems. Yeah. Like that's kind of like that was kind of like the main criteria. Like it had to be you know this hidden gem criteria. Like basically, you know it had to be this really cool, interesting thing that you know people would probably find interesting, but either no one knew about it or you know only some people knew about it mm-hmm. and that's kind of how he decided on different things right and so so that's why his sh- a lot of his shows or his subjects always kind of end up being this like weird local things you know yeah or like these local establishments and things you might not have heard about right or very secluded things you know uh or individuals that you just like you know just random individuals that you wouldn't have heard about yeah but uh, that was kind of his criteria in terms of how he chose things. It had to be like locally known, but like it couldn't be like statewide or or countrywide famous. Okay. So, um, because he he always liked uncovering those you know hidden gems. Yeah, totally. You know, or you know, to be on the nose, you know, gold nuggets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, totally. But uh, you know, um, but yeah, that's how he chose his subjects. So, now, do, oh, well, I mean, do you know? Because um, I I feel like for people, because his show basically only aired in california right or did it, it actually aired in a couple of places okay. um it, it wasn't countrywide but it was mostly in california um i do know it aired in uh hawaii nevada uh washington i believe washington or oregon i forget um i forget which one exactly uh-huh um and uh and tennessee Oh, okay. So his home state. Yeah, right on. So, so yeah, it aired in a couple states outside of California. Now, uh, for the life of me, I actually don't know 
how or why it aired in these states. Like, <laughs> right. if he had, if he just had roots, you know, or or he knew people there and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it only aired in a few states. Okay. Um, I mean, surprising. I'm surprised even at that. I thought it would have yeah. just aired in California, just mostly. But it actually would air in a couple other places outside of California. Uh huh. But um, but yeah. So I'm assuming with Tennessee, just because that's where he came from, and like, like, hey, let's why show not? it in yeah. my home state. They know him. Yeah. But I don't know why, like. Hawaii and you know north up north mm-hmm. and Nevada and stuff like that. Yeah, um, but I, I feel like it was just almost everybody in California knew who he was because he was like he was always on TV. You know? Sure, yeah, yeah. And so for people listening that maybe didn't grow up in California or any or weren't around. Like, just the, he was such a celebrity around here, it seems like, and everybody knew him, you know? Whereas, like, I don't know if other states would have an equivalent of what he was, really. Sure, yeah, you know, like, it's it's kind of funny, because a lot of, I think, so I haven't seen a lot of uh, shows from other states and stuff, but, you know, it would be safe to assume that every state could actually have their own Hill Hauser, in terms of, like, the possibilities right. and like the amount of material they have at their disposal. Yeah. Because, you know, Huel Hauser basically, you know, like half of his career was just on this one state. Yeah. You know, cause he's been working in television since the seventies, but 20, 20, like 20 plus years of that was just in California. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so it's kind of amazing to think about. So like, I would, I would argue that every state could have their own, you know, quote unquote Huel Hauser mm-hmm. uh, figure. But um, I actually don't know if every state does or if some states do. Yeah. But um, I can't. I can't imagine that uh, they at least don't have their own like kind of travel, local traveling shows where they would show you the various places and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not as specialized as Huel Hauser's show. Yeah. But you know, I, I know you know like say Travel Channel for instance, they have those shows where it's like you know top ten places to visit you know yada yada or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know that's kind of like taking that. Hulhauser format, mm-hmm. but instead of you know local stuff, they kind of do it like you know globally or in America or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. But I imagine that other states could like possibly do their own their own kind of California's Gold style show. Yeah, because it's not something that like Hulhauser could have gone anywhere and done the his, same thing. The same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah. not like it's just California. Who it has just stories. it just so happens that California was the state, and he fell in love with the state like almost immediately. Yeah, and and also the fact that our state's freaking huge. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, our state's like so big that you know he probably could have done this starting from the seventies. Yeah, and still have done stuff like for that for those forty some years yeah. or so. Yeah. So do you know how many like episodes kind of in aggregate he made of, <laughs> of California's Gold and visiting and all that? So in terms of uh, so in terms of our research, we found that he's documented. Uh, so this is just documented instances of California mm-hmm. about five thousand times. Man. So that would include his shows, his news stories, things like that. Yeah. Um, I can't say if five thousand, if most of that five thousand is his shows, mm-hmm. because in terms of what we have, in terms of his material, it's actually only about a thousand various programs that he's done. With KCET. Mm-hmm. So, uh, video log, visiting, California's Gold, all the California offshoot shows. Yeah. All that sums up to around a thousand programs. Man, okay. So, 
So, and, and some of that's also cheating too, by the way, because he would do a lot of, he would do a lot of the overlapping episodes where he would take California's gold and show it on visiting and stuff. Right, so, yeah. you know, so maybe it's a little less than that in terms of original documented instances mm-hmm. because he liked to do these update episodes. He'd like to reformat episodes mm-hmm. and show it in various series and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so some of it's a little cheating, yeah. but uh, yeah, I would say, you know, he's probably done like 5,000 bits of documentation of California and then for his shows was probably around a thousand or so yeah uh, programs man oh man a lot of content yeah (laughs) it's crazy and then so um I mean guess just to kind of get back to what you guys are doing here you're so you guys are you're putting all of his episodes on to so that they can be viewed online yeah so so kind of uh, what we do here um, I'm the archives technician of the collection, so I'm the main guy who handles all the material and uh, oversees the exhibit and answers people's questions such as yourselves, mm-hmm. uh, such as your questions um, and all that stuff. And I also maintain uh, the website, the, mm-hmm. the com website. Yeah. It has another web address, but Hulhauser Archives is a, is a lot easier to, to look up because it's literally the title of our, of our establishment. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so we do a couple things here. So one is the maintenance of his collection. So because of uh, archives, uh, the whole point of archives is to, for is um, long term preservation for whatever records you have in your in your holdings. Mm-hmm. So in our case, we have his original tapes and then we have his personal papers and his production files. Okay. Oh, we also have his uh, his artwork and, you know, all the yes. little artifacts he's collected. Right. So so our one of our goals as an archive is, is long-term preservation for all of that material. Mm-hmm. Um, the second uh, you know, the second goal for our of our establishment is is education and research. Mm-hmm. So, um, sadly, there's not a lot of people doing Hillhauser related research. That's a di- that's a difficult for a couple various reasons. For one, you know, most of the people who know Hillhauser are just people who live in California. Yeah. So it's it's a, you know a very small audience. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to like you know a country wide audience. Right. Um, and then the <clears throat> other reason too is because. Uh, because of the legal access to the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, f- for example, Heelhauser actually, in terms of his, uh, his uh, contract with us, in terms of accepting this material and all that stuff, one of the, uh, one of the stipulations was, was actually we couldn't digitize all the raw footage and B-rolls and outtakes of the collection. Oh, we could only okay. digitize the, the, uh, the, the episodes that aired on TV. I see, okay. Because he only cared about that stuff. He didn't actually care about the raw footage and stuff. Or, or you know, maybe he was pretty self-conscious about, like, how he would come off in the raw footage. He didn't want that shared. Yeah, he didn't really want that shared. So one of our stipulations in, in the, the paperwork is actually we can't digitize that stuff. Okay. So if, if researchers wanted to access that stuff, they could watch it, but they couldn't, they couldn't really report on it, distribute it, you know, for educational purposes, things like that. Mm-hmm. So sadly, that stuff is not digitized and we can't preserve that in the long term. Right. So once once those tapes eventually become unwatchable because of their format, yeah. uh, their unstable format, mm-hmm. uh, they'll be basically lost to time. Man. So that's a sad thing, but that's part of the contract that we had with Hugh Hazard. Right. So, and then there's other things too, like, you know, certain files <clears throat> and paperwork and things like that that we can't really, like, legally release and stuff just mm-hmm. because you know either it's sensitive or just um it, it wasn't part of the contract yeah he'll has really only cared about the the episodes yeah that makes now, sense. now that that being said you know we try our best to help researchers so um you know so 
for, for, for you example, you know, we're helping you um, explain like the, the life and story of Fuel Hauser yeah. and sort of what we do here and we could do that kind of stuff. Um, we've had people in the past where, um, uh, what is it? We had a, a museum gallery or, or a, an employee from like a museum gallery. Uh, they were doing a, a story, or no, not a story, but an exhibit about the, uh, the Tustin Air Base out in uh, OC, uh, OC County. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, or Orange County, I mean, that OC's OC County. <laughs> Orange County. And so yes. um, they're doing a story about the Tustin Air Base out here. And so um, so for their research, they actually, they contacted us and asked us about, um, you know, they knew that Hillhauser did a story about the Tustin Air Base. Right, okay. And so they wanted to look into our records and see what kind of research Hillhauser did. If there was any cool you know, uh, bits of information that he acquired because he did that story, any yeah. cool photographs that he did or he took while they did that story, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So they actually looked at our records for that episode and used that. Right, um, that's cool. I don't think they found anything, unfortunately, because the file was pretty limited in terms of what paperwork we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, so that was, that was one example of the research we've helped. Um, there was another, oh, oh, a big example is Louis Forte, uh, Hugh Hauser's first cameraman. Yeah. Um, uh, do you, you're familiar with the book he uh, released? Yeah, I've read it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's a great book. So Hugh Hauser, um, not Hugh Hauser, Louis Forte, in order to do that book, they actually used our records here. Mm-hmm. So they took a lot of the photographs from the book. Um, came from our collection. Nice. Uh, you know, some of the stories and some of the, uh, you know, some of the instances they talk about in the book, you know, came from our raw footage and our, some of our, uh, you know, paperwork and stuff, production files. Right. So, you know, he used that for to write his book. That's cool. Not the entire thing, but just some of it, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's a pretty good example of, you know, it's the research, uh, mm-hmm. Or the use that the research got out of. Yeah, well, and even like you said with, you know, stuff that's not even related to Heel Hauser, but they're just looking to get the information that he captured on a certain subject or area right, or yeah, something yeah. too. Yeah, he, In his production files, Heel Hauser would have a lot of, you know, they would have correspondence with people like representatives or historians, uh, the experts on the subject. They would have uh, newspapers, clippings, you know, uh, you know adver- adver- uh, advertising pamphlets. Um, you know, some people would actually have, there would be some correspondence of people telling Hauser of like various things mm-hmm. to look for. Like, so now people know this, but Hauser was actually really easy to get a hold of. Oh, okay. If you called his office, uh, you know, at KCT and stuff uh-huh. and called his direct line, he didn't have an assistant to pick up the phone and take messages. Uh-huh. More often than not, it would be Hauser picking up the phone. <laughs> and so people would actually pick up the phone, you know, Hauser would pick up the phone and, you know, and, like, the people would actually ca- call in or write in yeah. telling him, like, hey, there's this cool, uh, you know, establishment you could, you could check out and, like, you know, you maybe could do a story on it. And, mm-hmm. and, and half the time, Hauser would take him up on the offer and he would do a story on the thing. Right. A good example of, his, of this is um, the Galco Soda Shop episode. Yeah, yeah I've been there. So the daughter of the, <clears throat> of the owner actually contacted Huel and told him about her father's establishment. Mm-hmm. And a week later, he showed up doing the episode, and two weeks after that, they cut the episode and aired it. Jeez. And that's, you know, and so that's how, <laughs> so that's how quick Hauser was in terms of working and how efficient he was. Yeah. They didn't really, you know, beat around the bush. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, but that was, that episode came because the daughter called, you know, Huel or wrote a letter or something and, you know, told, told him like, hey, you know, my dad has this, this shop where we sell vintage sodas. Maybe you could do an episode about us. Right. And He's that's like, how the episode came oh, out. Oh, yeah, right. 
So yeah. So, and then, sorry, let's <coughs> kind of jump back a second. But did you, I'm curious about his editing. Did he have an editor, or did he do most of that himself? Okay, so so um, so Hugh Hauser actually did a lot of the uh, uh, editing notes himself. Okay. Uh, he he did have an editor who would actually do the physical cutting of the of the films and, and all that stuff yeah, of the okay. film and all that. Um, but Hugh Hauser, when it came to actually deciding on the scenes and stuff, it would actually be him. It would okay. actually be himself doing that. So. Going a little while ago, like I talked about the raw footage tapes and how they would have, you know, 10 to 12 tapes of raw footage or however many. Yeah. Hugh Hauser would actually be the one to watch all those raw footage tapes. Right. So he would actually sit down and himself and watch, you know, all the tapes. And he would actually have a little yellow notepad with him. And he would actually write down all the little, uh, you know, time stamps and the little notes to himself. <laughs> and he would like, you know, take meticulous, you know, detail uh, notes on like what he wanted for the actual show. Okay. And so, and, and he did this, the reason he did this was because one, it, it, it allowed him like complete creative control on how the episode would appear. Yeah. But also, um, <clears throat> this also helped develop his, his, uh, his on the spot editing skills, mm-hmm. like, and how he wanted to, and how he, you know, decided on what scene he wanted to take. Right. Because okay. he did this, this also helped him become a better, you know, uh, visual editor or, so, you know, for lack of a better word. Right, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so Huell did this uh, because of, mainly because of the creative control. He wanted to be the one deciding what scene he wanted to take and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but once, he did, once he watched all the raw footage tapes and took all his notes down and decided which scenes he wanted to cut, then he would sit down with his actual editor and they would together look at the tapes and they would, they would cut the tapes, to, uh, the episodes together. Okay. So yeah, so he had a lot of control over that still. He had a lot of control over that. He had a lot of control over a lot of things in terms of his company. Mm-hmm. Um, not only was Heelhauser the the show, the the you know the host of the show, he not only did he do all that editing note stuff, yeah, um, which takes a lot a lot of time to be honest, you know, yeah. Um, uh, and then, but he was also the programming director for the show, and he also you know he and his staff were the ones that selected all the material for the show. Mm-hmm. So Hughauser was involved in a lot of aspects of the show. You know, it would be safe to say that he was the you know he was an auteur. Yeah, you know he would, he was like heavily involved with every aspect of the show. Right. Like one funny thing is Hughauser was also the person that decided on his publicity photos too. Uh-huh. Like if he didn't like how he looked in an episode, maybe he thought he was like, you know, his belly was too fat or something yeah. like that. He would be like, no, we're not going to use that uh, that photo for uh, you know publicity headshots and stuff. Yeah. Even he, you know, he, that's unheard of. Most people have like PR people to do that kind of stuff for you. Right. But, but you know, Hill Hauser was the one that got a say and like, I want to, you know, I want this picture for my my headshot or whatever. Yeah, you know, he just like did that. all that stuff. That's cool. So, but yeah, so Hill Hauser actually involved in a lot of aspects of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, one. A uh, thing that a lot of people don't know about is um, his uh, position as pro- as programming director. So if you're not familiar with this position, that's basically the person that decided what episode got aired which night in which city. Okay. And so basically the scheduling for the shows. Right. For the life of me, I don't know why Hauser did it this way um, because, you know, to make it easier on his life, he could have just aired the same episode everywhere. Yeah. But Hauser actually <clears throat> decided for, I think... L.A. County, San Diego County, uh, uh, what is it? Inland Empire, Central California. I think those are the areas that he kind of had control over. Mm -hmm. So for all those areas and counties, he decided what episode would air which night in which city every day. Jeez. So... 
He would, you know, so because of this, he had control of what shows got reruns, essentially. And, right. like, you know, things like that. And so I like to tell people this. Like, so if Huel Hauser didn't like an episode that he made for whatever reason, maybe because, you know, artistically it didn't, you know, fulfill, fulfill his vision or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe he had a falling out with the people on the show or something. Mm-hmm. He would never air the show again. After the one air, air date, air, air time. Wow, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so he was pretty, you know, he could, you know, it would be safe to argue that he was kind of petty that way. Right, yeah. You know, if he didn't like it, like, he wouldn't air it again. Yeah. So, so yeah, so every now and then I get people that come in here and tell me that they saw this episode about, you know, uh, I don't know, Los Angeles or something. Yeah. And they had never seen it before. Right. And they're like, I've been watching Hugh Hauser all my life and I've never seen this episode. Like, how, how did I miss this? Yeah. You know, that's, that's why. Hugh because Hauser, Hauser like because Hugh Hauser, maybe, maybe he didn't like it or maybe, you know, for whatever reason, he just never reran it again. Right. But because he was the programming director, he, he got to decide what shows got reruns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's pretty interesting. So now that he's, you know, he passed away in 2013. Yeah. KCT still reruns the, you know, California's Golden mm-hmm. Visiting because he doesn't have a say in that. They've actually taken the liberty to start showing uh, the shows that have rarely aired. <laughs> okay. So a lot of people lately have been seeing shows that they've never seen before. Yeah, that's a cool part. Yeah. And like w- when we moved to Long Beach, I was like, surely Hill Hauser has done like episodes in Long Beach. So I just Googled him up and he had done uh, two episodes right on Long Beach on the Pike and then kind of off our like sure, yeah, oil yeah. islands there and stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah. if you know, if you're ever looking for something that or interested in something, you know, he, he probably did an episode on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, there's there's a good number of things. I, I remember, I can't remember these, these uh, the locations and stuff, but people would always ask me, like, oh, did he ever do an episode on that? And I would, like, look for it. And I'm like, oh, surprisingly, he didn't do an episode on, on this place you're looking at and uh-huh. stuff. So there's a few things he missed. Right. Um, but, <laughs> inevitably, uh, yeah. Yeah, inevitably, but, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so... Man, well, it's just so cool. I'm so glad you guys are here preserving all. So have all the, uh, all his episodes been digitized or is that still a process? Oh yeah. Going back to your earlier question. Yeah. So the, uh, digitization process started probably around 2012 or so, uh, 2013 maybe. Uh Um, and, uh, cause I wasn't part of the digitization process. I came in a little afterwards. Okay. So, um, so we actually contracted a vendor to do the, uh, to do the digitization for us. Okay. Mainly because we didn't have the resources and the we you know we had low staff for that. Right. Because um, literally, I'm the only one like that's officially working for the Hulhauser Archives here. Uh-huh. I mean, we have other staff that help us out, like in the special collections department. Yeah. But I'm actually the the person that mainly sits here all the time. Yeah. So so I'm kind of the guy, the Hulhauser guy. Yeah. But uh, before <laughs> me, there was also the previous archivist, and she was the only person doing stuff for Hulhauser. Uh huh. And so, um, so since she, uh, since she had experience in mainly basic, not basic, but uh, archival studies and knowledge and stuff, mm-hmm. she didn't actually have uh, much uh, information on digitization. Right. And we also didn't have the technology and the, the equipment for digitization. Mm-hmm. So we actually contracted a vendor to do that for us who could do that, you know, on a larger scale, yeah. um, you know, things like that and more professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did it for us. It took about... I want to say two to three years to do everything. Yeah. Um, and so everything that we received from Hulhauser has been digitized. But uh, that being said, there's actually a number of episodes that we do not have on our archive. Oh. Um, the reason being is that Hulhauser, um, in terms of all the tapes, they gave us everything they gave us. So if there was anything that either they missed, maybe the tapes were broken or maybe the tapes were lost on their part, yeah. they didn't give it to us. Right. So there's like, 
I, I've looked through our list. There's probably like so far like 20 to 30 episodes on our on our episode list that we don't have the actual digitized version of. Oh, okay. So, you know, so that's, that's kind of a loss, but you know, it's, it happens. It's yeah. Done. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the nature of, uh, archives and donations and things like that. So. Yeah. So yeah, man. Well, geez, John, I feel like we could go on forever about this stuff. It's so fun talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we close at five, so. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I appreciate you sharing all this and everything. So I guess for people listening, why don't you just share like, I guess, well, where we are, where they can come visit you here and then, you know, where they can go online to find more information or watch. Episodes. Oh, sure. Sure. So, uh, so it's funny you asked that because a lot of people actually don't know about us. Yeah. We've had thousands of people visit us over the last few years, but every now and then we still get a bunch of people like showing us like, Oh, I, I just heard about this online yeah. or something. So the California's gold exhibit and Hillhauser archives is located at Chapman university in orange, California. Um, so you know, most people have heard of Chapman University, but they actually aren't aware of the history between Chapman and uh, Hillhauser. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's something they're not looking for. Right. Yeah. But I would say if you, uh, you know, you could find out more about us if you Google Hillhauser Archives. Mm-hmm. Um, you could visit our direct web address, which is hillhauserarchives.com. Cool. But if you just Google Hillhauser Archives, that'll also be an easy way to find us. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Uh, some people are averse to writing whole web addresses, apparently. Because <laughs> I'll tell people like Hillhauser Archives, you know, just Google Hillhauser Archives, yeah. and they're like, "What's the web address?" And I'll tell the, I'll say the web address, and they're like, "Oh, I'll just Google that or something." <laughs> and so I'm like, "Okay, well, it's fine." All right. But um, but yeah. So our website mostly um, it doesn't have a lot um in terms of like re, uh, research resources. Uh, we have information on how to visit us, how to contact us, mm-hmm. uh, what materials and resources we have available um there's a you know contact us page things like that yeah uh, but the main uh draw of the website is the video archive section mm-hmm. and that's where you could actually watch all the episodes we've digitized and put online yeah um unfortunately it's on our own um our own um proprietary platform and you know uh, video player and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so you know if you want to if you want to just watch it on youtube you can't it's not, you have to watch it on our website mm-hmm. luckily it's free you don't have to register for anything or sign up you could nice. just visit the website and just watch start watching episodes cool you might have to update your own personal video players though i think it's I think it works with java i could be wrong about that okay but uh but yeah so that might be something you have to do if uh you know if you're not completely computer literate <laughs> you know <laughs> i've had a lot of people call me and they're they, they want to watch an episode and i have to i have to do a little bit of it support for them because right. like i'm like uh you have to download a you know a new web uh, uh video driver and stuff like that a yeah. player and stuff i see but uh but yeah so it should work on most devices um basically as long as you have internet access you could watch the episode yeah or you could watch these shows cool um i've watched i personally watched some shows on my own iphone while i'm eating lunch or something like uh-huh. that you know but uh, yeah, so that's kind of the main draw um, of the of the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, the video ar- uh, one a couple things to note about the the video archives on the website. Um, it's um, we actually posted it on a WordPress platform. So the way the videos appear, it's kind of in this blog style form. So all oh, the episodes have been post all, all the episodes that have been posted. They all have uh, dates attached to them, and those are the dates that we posted the episode. Those aren't the dates that the episode originally aired. Right. So okay. there's a, some people are confused about that because they see an episode and it says 2017 yeah. or something, and they're like, "This episode aired in like 1991 or something." But right. that's that's a discrepancy. I get you. So so just uh, just so people know, because some people just assume that's when it was aired or yeah. something. 
Um, so that's one thing. We didn't post them in any specific order. Basically, since it was contracted by a vendor and they, gave, they would give us the episodes in batches in mm-hmm. hard drives, we would just kind of upload them, you know, in whatever order they did. Yeah. So, so yeah, so they're not in any specific order. So if you want to watch them chronologically, unfortunately, that might be a little difficult because we don't have the air dates for the original episodes. And also, you know, we didn't upload them chronologically either. Right. Or yeah. to the best of our knowledge anyway. Right. Um, there's also uh, an episode guide on the website. So on the, if you visit the, I think the main page of the video archives on the right side of the screen, there's an episode guide. Uh, it's a downloadable PDF file, or you could just click on it and it'll link you to the next page. Mm-hmm. But it's an episode guide that lists all the episodes by title and by uh, uh, episode number for all the shows that he's done, that nice. he has done. Cool. It's all of California's gold, visiting, parks, missions, all those shows. The only one I think we do not have on there is video log. Um, uh, what is it? And that, I think that's partly because, um, what is it? The, the, the video log footage we have is super old and kind of damaged and everything like that. Oh, okay. So we didn't, we couldn't really digitize those. I see. Um, but yeah, it lists all the episodes by, by episode number and by title. Yeah. So if there's a specific episode you want to watch, you could, um, or if you want to just like kind of explore, uh, his different his his catalog, uh-huh. and you know an, a, an episode title jumps out at you. You could like pick that and type it down in the the search bar of our uh, video archives. Yeah, and look up the episode. Yeah, that's what I've done. Yeah, and then uh, also another thing too the the episode the video archives also uh, works with uh, key terms too. So we've we've tagged mm. most of the episodes with key terms. Nice. So if there's an episode that you remember Hugh Hauser did about you know a specific museum or something, you could type down the name of the museum. Or maybe just the word museum, mm-hmm. and that episode should pop up. Okay. So there's a few number, there's a few episodes that haven't had keywords attached to them. So, but that that's kind of like the last thing we're working on. Okay. It's just kind of uh, sprucing up the website, uh, doing some finishing touches and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some episodes that we have to, I think, edit the uh, the episode descriptions for. But, oh, okay. but that's kind of about it. Right. Well, no, yeah. it's, it's great, man. I'm glad that site exists and that yeah. those are preserved. So, so just so people know, just to reiterate one more time, you do not have to come to the physical archives to watch the shows. You can watch them online. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of people, a lot of people are under the impression that you have to come here to watch them. I see, okay. So, but yeah, so people could watch them online, and so you don't have to come here. Anywhere, I mean, anytime. Come here anyways if you want to see a cool little exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but you don't have to come here to watch the shows. Yeah, totally. <laughs> But yeah. Can we get these things on like Netflix or Hulu or anything? Um, actually, you know, it's funny. We've had actually a couple emails from people like working in television or, you know, some kind of production companies. Really? Yeah. And like people were like asking us like, you know, um, we, you know, we want this on Netflix. You know, you should publish this on YouTube because it'll get a lot more views and stuff. And like for whatever reason, our administration isn't interested. I think mm-hmm. mainly because uh, we're an archive and educational center. I see. And we're not really... We don't want to make money off this. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, we do take donations, but like that's just that's for the scholarship that Hillhauser started. Yeah, but we don't. We're not. A, we're not a business. That's kind of the main reason we're not dabbling in all this stuff. I get you. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I know KCT uh, has some airing rights with the uh, with the Hillhauser episodes. Yeah. Okay. Because we we own a copyright for the actual property, but KCT has this agreement with us and Hillhauser before he passed away mm-hmm. that they could still rerun the shows. Okay. 
I see. So I don't know the full details about that, but yeah. So that's we have this agreement with them. Gotcha. But yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'll have the um, I'll put the link for the for your website and everything for the archives in in the show description, so people can uh, click on that and get to your website easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was great, <laughs> dude, John. I appreciate it. It was fun learning yeah, no all this stuff yeah, and yeah. you know letting us come down and, and learn about all this stuff. So yeah, thank it was you. super fun. I enjoy talking about Yolazar all the time. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, there you have it. We did it. Almost a two-hour interview. It went by like that for me. I super enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Thanks for being here, sticking around to the end. Hope you learned lots and uh, are, I don't know, just feel inspired and happy and lucky that we had Heel Hauser for the time that we did. A little sad, very sad that he's gone now, but uh, just really fun to go and learn about him and all the impact that he had and see all of his work and everything like that. So, Thanks for joining me in this, and uh, see you next time. Again, remember to check out the tour of the Hauser archives, which is available here. You can click if you're watching this, or visit youtube.com slash curiosityness, and um, check out that full walkthrough. It was uh, quite fun. Um, again, I'm Travis DeRose. You're watching Curiosityness, and... Uh, you can find me on Instagram at TravDeRose, T-R-A-V-D-E-R-O-S-E. I'm on there and share stuff sometimes. And uh, if you have thoughts or questions or ideas for new episodes or criticism for me, you can send me an email to Travis at CuriosityNest.com. And that's all I have to say. Goodbye.